There. Welcome to Greenfluence, the podcast that brings you the latest in sustainability, responsible investing, and climate change. I'm Sarah, your podcast editor, bringing you our sixth episode of season two. It's fantastic to be with you again. In this episode, Maya and Shree sit down with Tom McQuillan, the principal of Regen Ventures. Tom is very passionate about helping startups and the planet, and Regen is all about partnering with founders who are daring to build companies that will restore our planet as well. It's going to be a very insightful episode, and I hope you find it encouraging. Here is episode six of season two with Tom McQuillan. Tom has started his career as a management consultant before moving to Nicaragua to run a social enterprise. He spent five years working in early stage startups in product and growth roles. And during his time in startups, he has helped to raise capital at the pre-seed, seed and series A stages. Tom is now a principal at Regen Ventures, which invests in companies using regenerative technology and business models to improve the health of our planet and people. Tom holds a bachelor's degree in information systems from Monash University and an MBA from the University of Oxford. He's currently in Lenox Heads and lives by the motto, wetsuits, not suits. Welcome, Tom, to the Greenfluence podcast. Thank you very much. And yeah, it's a pleasure to be here with you today. Yeah, I was hoping you would turn up in a wetsuit for this recording <laughs> somewhere <laughs> on the surf. I've got one. Probably not the right weather. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, um, the water's not not great today, so I haven't been in. Well, let's start this podcast with a bit of an overview about your career. And we mentioned at the beginning that you did start as a management consulting uh, consultant, and you didn't go into another corporate organization from that position, but you decided to work in ecotourism for an NGO in Nicaragua. Um, this is very unconventional, and it brings up a theme we often discuss about finding purpose and aligning this with work. Um, can you tell us a bit about your decision-making and what you learned during this process, um, and also how this new adventure set you up for the new trajectory in startups? Look, when I was at university, I don't think... As far as I know, nothing like early work or anything like that existed at the time. And um, I probably didn't spend enough time considering exactly what I wanted to do uh, after university, you know, going straight from uh, doing my you know, high school certificate and, and into university. I felt like I just had enough of studying and wanted to get out and do something in the, in the real world. And so I kind of, you know, didn't really think hard about or hard enough probably about what I wanted to do. And um, I guess like a lot of people who who haven't done that thinking ended up in consulting because it seemed like you could do a little bit of everything. Um, and I'm very grateful for my time uh, there. And there was definitely lots I learned, mainly about, you know, how to be turn up on time and um, write business speak emails and things like that. Um, but also, uh, you know, lots of really valuable skills around uh, context switching, understanding different industries, learning about different roles and, and different functions. So very grateful for my time there. But uh, at the end of the day, I just struggled with the motivation, to be honest. Um, you know, in particular, there was a lot of, you know, writing reports 
proposals and rushing to get them to a client on a certain deadline or, or, you know, seemingly arbitrary deadlines around reports and things like that. And it felt a little bit like, you know, we were doing all this for some huge purpose, but there wasn't, you know, it wasn't, we weren't saving people's lives. It wasn't, you know, emergency medicine or nursing or teaching or anything that really, really matters. Um, and, and I just struggled to motivate myself and looking ahead at people a few years ahead of me at the firm, I, I just wondered if that was what I wanted. Um, and the other part was I just felt a long way away from actually connecting to any customer of any sort. You know, we were writing advice and proposals for large clients well removed from their own customers um, and there was just not a lot of tangible outcomes to what I was doing that I could see. Uh, and so I really didn't know what I was going to do. I just decided to, to, to quit and travel for a little while and see if I could work out something else. And I was really lucky to come across uh, an organization in Nicaragua that was an um, environmental NGO funded by its own ecotourism operations. And um, while at university, I kind of, my, my job that, that paid the bills was uh, leading outdoor education, uh, guiding, rock climbing, bushwalking, abseiling, whitewater rafting, that kind of thing. And um, that was what this organization did to pay the bills with a bunch of hostels and other things. And I thought, wow, this is the, the chance to run a real business, um, to be directly involved in something where I'm speaking to customers every day to manage a big, you know, workforce across a, a number of different locations and really get uh, kind of the more hands-on experience um, that, that I wanted out of my career. And, you know, in some ways, it, you know, it's a good, good example of being careful what you wish for because it was challenging in a lot of ways. Um, going to actually, you know, being responsible for for people and jobs and and all sorts of things, but it was a great education. Um, I really loved my time there, and that really set me up for wanting to work directly, you know, in startups or small organisations initially um, that were aligned to my passion around environmental goals and uh, environmental justice and, and climate change. Um, and so, uh, ever since then, uh, that's what I've been doing. Wow, that's so amazing to actually reach that turning point and really taking action and control in, in your own, you know, career journey. And sometimes it's probably best to take a break, I guess, and realign with your own purposes and values. And what maybe we could do now is just link between, you know, that beginning of your startup journey to um, your next roles, which were... Uh, in product and growth at early stage startups, including Hume and Prolific, um, and maybe expand on what you did learn in these roles. And also, do you think these experiences made you a better venture capitalist? The hard thing about venture capital is that the the um, feedback loop on when you work out whether the investments you've made are successful or not is probably ten to fifteen years, and so. Not sure that I could say whether I'm a better venture capitalist or not yet, but uh, I definitely think that that my time working in in startups really has been beneficial. I think the primary reason, honestly, has just been empathy for what um, what people who are working in startups are going through. Um, you know, uh, I think Paul Graham defines a startup as as a just a company that's growing really really fast, um, and uh, if you're a company 
that's growing really, really fast and you've got a heap of challenges that you're constantly having to solve. And um, uh, if you're a startup that's not growing really, really fast, then you've got a heap of challenges that you've constantly got to solve because there's an existential threat about staying in business. Um, and so there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of fun. There's lots you learn. Um, you've got to, you know, teach yourself a lot of things really. Uh, but, you know, I think at the end of the day, the thing I took away most is just, you know, it's a really, really hard thing to do. Um, people put their, you know, heart and soul into building businesses and, and companies that they're passionate about and solving problems that matter. Um, and, you know, I think you've really got to remember that in venture capital, you know, uh, it's it's not a game. It's not, um, you know, we try and avoid using language that, that um, dehumanizes the founders and what they're working on because it really is important stuff. It really is hard. Um, and I think that's the most important thing to remember when you, you know, when you're making decisions from an, from an investor's perspective. Um, definitely, you know, I, the other thing I think is um, I feel like as an investor, you're too far removed from the business to really be able to make, you know, or, or, or offer really detailed advice about day-to-day operations within a startup. Um, and I don't think that's the right role to be in unless perhaps you're a really deep expert in, you know, you've done 30 years of enterprise sales and you can really speak to that um, specific skill set. But, you know, the things I learned as a product manager and a growth manager, they're probably out of date already. Um, so it's not so much the hard skills, but more some of the soft skills around hiring and um, company culture and, um, you know, uh, strategy and things like that, um, you know, spending time at Y Combinator, um, understanding like the thing that sticks out to me are things like, you know, the clarity that they require in communication and the way they cut down a pitch deck to just a few words on each slide and really trying to, to help startups communicate better with investors, customers, potential employees. So things like that, I think, have probably been useful from a high-level perspective, but at the end of the day, I think just having been in a startup and seeing how hard it is probably uh, is is the, the thing that's hopefully going to help me the most. Yeah, absolutely. And your point on empathy as well is actually really important, I think, particularly when we're looking at you know, solving these um, real big problems in agritech, using agritech or um you know, and working with really smart people that you can't be too detached from what you're trying to solve. And it's, yeah, it's um, it's a really interesting perspective that you've been in these young startups and actually taken away those soft skills instead of, you know, the technical skills and that what makes you a better decision maker now. And you also mentioned that you're at YC. Do you mind just expanding as well about that experience and which company you were with there? Uh, when I moved to the UK, uh, it's a funny story, actually. Um, I didn't really know what I was going to do prior to, to starting the MBA. And so I just was doing some consulting with a couple of startups and trying to get to know people in the ecosystem in this entirely new place. There was no start made equivalent there that I could easily you know, find startups in Oxford. But one thing they did have was this event called Pitch at the Pub at the Wigan Pen. Uh, right in the right in the middle of Oxford, and um, I went there. And the first night, uh, there was a founder, Katia. She was pitching her company, Prolific, 
uh, and they were just getting started as a kind of research company. Um, uh, essentially what they do is provide participants for really high quality research. So if you're a behavioral researcher, a psychologist or a company who wants to understand the psychology or the, the, the incentives around your user base, you can use them to, to find those participants and um, survey them or, or bring them in for panels and things like that. Um, and uh, yeah, it was her first time pitching and I kind of reached out afterwards and said, hey, like we've just been through this process at Yumi of pitching, you know, hundreds of investors, raising money. If there's anything I can do to help, let me know. And she kind of said, let's grab a coffee. Uh, I went and she said, they're thinking of applying to Y Combinator. Um, can you help me with the application? And so all I did was basically help refine their, their Google Doc and plug it into the website. I think they applied at like 11.59 before the midnight deadline and they were lucky enough to get in and um, they asked me to, to join them for a while and help them launch the growth team, um, which was a real honour. And so I was able to go over um, to, to San Francisco with Katia and Phelan, the two founders, um, and, you know, got to soak up a bunch of that uh, that ecosystem and, and that um, as they went through, you know, the proper YC program. Um, so it was yeah, really lucky to 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 get to experience that. That's an amazing um, story and probably you know it led to a lot of good things being in San Francisco and leading to your role at Region Ventures. So I'm hitting maybe starts at a pub. Yeah. <laughs> and one one confident pitch and um, yeah, a good chat. <laughs> maybe if we backtrack a little bit, you also mentioned that you uh, completed your MBA. Um a lot of people in startups now think that it's unnecessary to do further education. Um, why did you end up choosing an MBA? Do you feel like this actually helped you, um, you know, in this realm of startups? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I definitely think it's not necessary. Um, there's probably quite a few reasons um, that I did it, some that may be broadly applicable and some that is probably very unique to my situation. Um, you know, I, I studied information systems at university, so I'd never really gone through a formal finance or, you know, accounting program. Uh, and that became a real, you know, really obvious when we were raising money at UMI. Um, you know, Katie, the founder, and I would stay up and read, um, I think it was Brad Feld's book on venture deals and things like that as we tried to understand what a term sheet was, what, you know, um, how valuations worked, all that kind of thing around the financing of a company. Um, and I definitely felt that I was a little underprepared and, and that was, you know, one of the first reasons that I thought oh, it might be cool to, to go and do some formal business study, but probably not the main one. Um, you know, my partner... Uh, uh, grew up in Oxford and we'd always wanted to live there for a little while. So that was part of the reason that, that I'd love, wanted to go. And, and also the, the MBA program at Oxford is, is really no, well known primarily for its focused on social impact and climate change. Um, and so, you know, as part of that, I, I really wanted to tap into the wider university ecosystem. So I joined the School of Climate Change. Um, I took a lot of extracurricular activities around um, learning about the science and about what people were researching in the space, um, which I felt was, you know, an opportunity that was too good to pass up. Uh, and, and uh, you know, also one of the things I was able to do is join the seed fund. Um, so I led the Oxford Seed Fund for a year and essentially what it does is invest in early stage companies spun out of the university. 
Um, they're actually the first, I think, investor in Go One, which is now a unicorn here in Australia. Um, a number of other companies that have been pretty successful, uh, like Onfido, which has gone on to raise you know two or three hundred million dollars and, and is now valued at, at, as a unicorn as well. Um, and what they did is they just gave us the chance to you know do our own sourcing, do our own due diligence, do our own um, portfolio management, our own term sheet negotiations. Basically, you know all the things you might do as a, an angel investor or professional investor. Um, and again, it's probably you know something that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do. I you know, definitely don't have the money to be making personal angel investments and building up a big portfolio to show track record that way. And so, um, you know, there were some things like that that were really unique um, that I think were, were beneficial, but very specific to me. So I don't know that that's broadly applicable to anyone else. Yeah, that's an incredibly amazing experience to actually be hands-on with a fund and also some, you know, very high caliber people and interested as well in the climate change and um, social impact space. Um, also touching on that point about, you know, the core skills around finance and understanding term sheets, I think maybe that's a bit underrated here. And, you know, we do have those Startmate programs, fellowships um, that is actually helping raise awareness and, you know, education around these aspects. But, you know, you do actually touch on a really important point that sometimes there are some foundational um, knowledge aspects which you know entrepreneurs would actually benefit from having, even if it is in the social impact space or um, something that um, like an NGO as well. Let's actually move now towards your current role, which is region at Region Ventures, and Region is a global venture capital firm with members in San Francisco and New York, and you're in what's the Byron? Um, can you tell us what? makes your firm so unique and also about your role and what makes you excited to come to work every day? I think I'm lucky to have one of the best jobs in the world, to be honest. Um, You know, uh, what we do is get to meet really, really, really smart and passionate founders all day um, and learn about what their, you know, solutions are to um, potentially wicked problems. Um, so, you know, they're inherently positive because they're suggesting something that, that could fix the world that we're in today. Uh, and they're all really smart. They're all, you know, super motivated. Um, and, you know, it's just a, an honour really to get to, to meet them and, and work with them and potentially partner with some of them to, to play a very small role in helping their dreams and, and, and things like that come to fruition. Um, so, you know, most of our time is meeting with these founders, learning more about their companies, um, uh, doing our own research into the space and, and then trying to work out whether it might be a good fit for us to partner with them. Uh, and, and if there's anything we can do to help. Uh, and so I'd say that consumes probably 70% of my week is, is, you know, directly working on potential investments or investments that we're, we're doing. Um, and then probably the balance is supporting our existing portfolio companies. So, you know, we have eight, almost nine, I think, um, <laughs> within the next day or two, uh, portfolio companies at Regen. And, and, you know, we help them with a variety of things from strategy to hiring to marketing and branding to follow on fundraising, you know, all the things that we can do to try and support them and make their journey uh, a little bit easier. 
And uh, yeah, Regen itself is a new climate tech uh, firm. You know, we've got a global focus. The thesis is that climate change is a global problem. Uh, talent is really distributed. Um, the solutions can come from anywhere and therefore we'll invest everywhere. Um, and that means that we've got a team at the moment spread across Australia and the US, but, but looking to expand. Um, we kind of launched formally last year. Um, as I said, we've made eight investments um, continuing to grow and it's, it's really exciting. Uh, one of the things that's great about being at a firm from this early stage is uh, it does feel a little bit like some of the startups I've worked at. And, and to me, that's a positive in terms of, you know, being able to be part of building the initial culture, the systems, the processes, figuring things out from how do you, you know, make a, a, a great multi-generational venture capital firm that founders would love to work with. Um, you know, having the chance to sit at the feet of people who have done that before and, and learn um, and, uh, and, and having a crack at doing that ourselves, uh, which is, is really cool. Um, I think what makes Regen unique, um, everyone is really, really passionate about the problems we're trying to solve and has been working in the space for a long time. Um, you know, uh, one of our partners, Rose, she's been, she was the CEO of Patagonia for the last 10 years. Like she's been a real climate warrior for a long time. She's an absolute badass. Um, you know, and that's probably typical of the team in terms of their commitment and experience in the space. And um, I think that resonates with founders. You know, for some people um, or some investors, climate is is a fad or a new strategy that sits alongside crypto and um, DeFi and, um, you know, uh, yeah, enterprise SaaS and whatever else they might be looking at. Um, for us, you know, it's not a day job. It's it's everything we live and breathe. And, and I think um, for some founders, that's what they, they want and need in an investor and a partner that they're going to have from, you know, their pre-seed round all the way through to, to IPO, hopefully, which might be a 10 to 15 year journey. And the other thing I think is that focus on regenerative. So, you know, we see regenerative as the next bar along from sustainable, where instead of just eliminating or mitigating negative environmental externalities, we're actively trying to heal people and the planet. We're looking for solutions that can do that. Um, and uh, again, it's a concept uh, I think resonates with some founders and and that makes us a little bit different. Yeah, definitely. Regenerative also really ingrained into your philosophy as well. Synonymous um, for teaching and for you know fostering the next generation as well. Um, and your, your portfolio has some very interesting investments and very sector agnostic. So yeah, it's um, definitely unique. And you did mention like climate tech has recently been rising, but that's also been like a fad and what will the next thing be? Uh, whereas your focus has always been on this. Um, and so, you know, looking at your portfolio as well, you've invested to everything from solar powered autonomous robots to alternative proteins. Um, what have you personally found to be the most interesting recent investment? That's a good question. I mean, yeah, we, we're pretty pretty excited about all of them. Um, you know, we, we talk about needing to get to a hell yes for, for our investments. So, um, But I can talk a little bit about the solar-powered autonomous robots because I think that's quite interesting. But, you know, essentially um, one of the things we'd love to do is, is encourage more people to switch to regenerative agricultural systems. Uh, and one of the things that makes that really difficult for farmers who want to make that transition is, 
just the the managing initially the managing of weeds <laughs> so anyone who's got a garden can probably empathize with this but um you know dealing with weeds at a large scale can be really tricky and the the probably default at the moment is to use herbicides so you're spraying chemicals or applying chemicals um to to target specific weeds and, and hopefully leave your crops alone but um obviously there's a bunch of um issues with with that approach um, farmers who would like to switch away from that find themselves you know having to to mainly use um, manual labor um, whether themselves or people they employ to do the weeding and that can be you know really hard work it can be expensive for the farmers and and often it's just not viable and so um, what iGen is doing is um, building a autonomous solar powered robot um, that does the weeding for farmers uh, and the way it does that is it uses computer vision to identify um, any plants that the farmer would like to target for removal. And then it has a couple of different mechanisms for removing them. One is it delivers a very small um, electric shock to the, the root of the um, weed, uh, which essentially stuns it and, and, and stops it from growing. Um, and the second is it has a mechanical kind of arm um, that can dig it up and depending on the type of weed, the terrain, the mud, et cetera, uh, it, can, it can use um, either or both of those. Um, uh, yeah, the team, really, you know, really great team out of Tesla, Boeing and, and Google, um, you know, using, and this is what we see a lot in climate tech, it's a mix of skill sets from, you know, computer vision, um, powering autonomous vehicles, uh, through to, you know, miniaturization, mechanization, mechanical engineering to build a, a rugged robot. And, and that's something that they've done that I think is really unique in this space. You know, the robot is really affordable for farmers. It, you know, the payback period is something like three weeks. Um, uh, it fits in the back of a truck or a back of a, you know, pickup or a ute. Um, uh, and it's it's light and rugged and easy to use. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's really exciting um, we think that they can help uh, lots of farmers switch away from using herbicides. Uh, um, above, above and beyond that, there's plenty more potential uses that we see for it and, and the team would love to explore. Um, for example, one of them is terraformation. So where you have degraded land, um, using the robot to go out and, and um, do some terraformation to, to allow regeneration across really large landscapes where, again, you know, the, the, the cost of doing it using human labor might be prohibitive. Um, so we're really excited about that investment. That's an interesting area and um, yeah, a real problem to solve that being used all over the world, particularly since of you know, running food shortages in certain areas and a little bit worried as well about the amount of pesticides and <laughs> things that we are eating. <laughs> um, so in relation to this startup as well, you mentioned that they the founders came from from you know well known companies. What other qualities do you think would be on the list for a great climate tech founder? I think for for a climate, for any founder really, you know, we talked about it a little bit before, but but um, starting a startup is is unbelievably hard, um, you know. I recommend that everyone read Ben Horowitz's The Hard Thing About Hard Things um, to get an idea of some of the stuff that poor founders have to go through. 
Um, and so I think if you're going to do that, you need to do it about something you really care about because it's, you know, you're going to be dedicating potentially years of your life to this uh, and you're going to need the motivation to get up in the morning and run through brick walls is, is what my old founder Katie um, used to say and used to do and still does. Um, and so, uh, you know, uh, working on something that matters to you, that you can connect with a problem that you care about solving. It doesn't have to be climate. It could be something that you frustrated in your life or as a consumer or as you know, part of your job or whatever it might be. But I think working on something that matters is, is great. And so, you know, we do um, look for founders who who's, uh, are doing their life's work. Um, uh, I think in terms of other qualities, you know, we talk about, um, finding visionary pragmatists um, because it, it really is a mix of skills that you need. Um, I think it is critically important that founders have that ability to set the vision and describe that vision to others. Um, you know, what does the company look like? What are they trying to achieve? Um, what does success look like? That narrative, that storytelling, that, you know, being able to convey that vision is actually a really hard thing to do. And so people who can do that well, that makes it a lot easier for them to, you know, sign up customers. It makes them easier for them to hire great talent and it makes it easier for them to raise further rounds of, of investment if they need to as well. Um, and so the visionary part's really important, but at the same time, um, I don't know if anyone's watching We, we Crashed at the moment, uh, visionary on its own is probably not enough. There needs to be a, a pragmatic side as too. Um, and so that's about, you know, can you, you know, do things in a scrappy way? Can you hustle? Can you, um, you know, do things that don't scale? Do you talk to customers? Do you, you know, um, can you uh, change your opinion when you get feedback from the data or from the market? All that kind of thing, um, uh, I think, are also really important. And so, you know, we 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 have a test, or we like to to try and work out um, and work with people who are visionary pragmatists. Um, another is earned experience. So, uh, some, and, and that doesn't mean, you know, we looking for founders who have run successful companies before, it's probably a pretty small cohort. It's more about, you know, what, do, what does a founder have? What sort of, um, experience or learning do they have that gives them an insight into the market that, that they're working in that no one else has, or an insight into the problem that no one else has. That might come from working in the space. It might come from just um, reading lots and, and doing academic study. It might come from, you know, something really technical, um, you know, an innovation or an invention that, that's completely novel. Um, but, but, yeah, something that, that gives them that insight that no one else has, I think, is, is also really important in the climate tech space. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's almost like the, the why you factor. and. Yeah. There's a, I mean, I'm saying addressing a lot of different problems, um, but everyone has their own, I guess, area that they've gained. And a lot of the things that you mentioned probably can be let through experiences or training, um, but there are also some qualities which you mentioned, like the hard work ethic, um, which I mean, people can develop as well, but it's also, um, you know, something that would really make a founder, um, you know, push forward their team and help help drive, you know, really the the solution to 
some complex problems. 100%. Um, so maybe if we move now to learning a bit more about you and your philosophies, um, I noticed that you remain very focused and accountable for your personal development. And you mentioned on your blog as well that you have an individual growth plan. I was wondering if you could um, share with our young audience in particular and your perspective of what it means to keep learning. I think the younger you are, the more important. And, and this you know, probably comes from hindsight, right, rather than, you know, it's one of those things I wish I knew earlier. But the younger you are, the more important it is to optimise for learning early in your career. Um, and as you go on, this probably becomes more and more your responsibility to do that. Um, and as I also said before, the, the um, thing about early stage investing is that you don't really get any feedback on your decisions for a very long time. And so um, those two things mean that you really do need to, to kind of have a growth plan and have a, have a way of um, learning and, and trying to improve your decision-making or improve your interactions with startups over time. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's what the, the growth plan's about, everyone. I think at Regen has one, including, you know, the founders who have been doing this for a long time because it really is a space of, of constant learning. Um, you're only, you know, uh, as good as your last investment. Um, you're only, as, you know, you can't be helpful to founders if you're not staying up to date on your space. Um, you know, you sim simultaneously need to learn about new industries, about um, research and development in climate, uh, about, uh, you know, startup uh, best practices uh, and about venture capital and allocation. And so there's a lot of different streams that you need to keep abreast of and, you know, staying organised, doing that in a structured way. It's really difficult. It's difficult to prioritise when you have lots of, you know, kind of um, really urgent things happening or, or opportunities coming up that you want to, to be able to, to seize. Um, and so, again, the, the idea behind the growth plan is that you keep some structure and, and keep that as a priority so that you can continue to learn and develop um, as you go on. Yeah, I did notice a lot of prominent VCs do write a lot and they, they share a lot of their um, thoughts. Even they've got some strong opinions. Some do it through Twitter and others do it through, like, big blogs. Um, but it does serve a very good purpose in, you know, teaching and also learning a lot more when you have to reiterate that to someone else. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and one thing, if anyone does know you, is that, you know, you are very optimistic and are just a very positive person. I can feel the positivity of you. What are you most optimistic about and um, what would you say, you know, to any cynic? It could be about anything, the world, the future, or tech, or anything. Yeah, I'm optimistic about our ability as a human race to come together and solve big problems. Um, we don't always do it in a timely manner and, <laughs> and we don't always do it perfectly, but I do think over time that's been something like that mass cooperation has been something that, that's pretty remarkable and I'm optimistic that we can do that, you know, in, in probably the, the face of our greatest challenge or the, at least the greatest challenge of our generation, which is, you know, this existential threat around a warming planet and what that could mean for a lot of people. Um, and so, you know, uh, and I think working in this environment, it helps that. As I said, it's kind of an inherently positive environment. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I really cherish and look forward to meeting founders who come up with um, 
wonderful ideas to, to, to help us, you know, do that, to help improve people's lives. Um, and so that definitely helps, you know, keep me optimistic. There's a, so I actually read something on Twitter the other day. I think Harry Stebbings from 20 VC said, uh, you know, um, uh, if, if you're a pessimist, then you're going to be right a lot as an early stage VC. And if you're optimist, you're going to be successful. Um, you know, <laughs> most of the startups that, that we invest in, despite best efforts from everyone involved, might not, you know, achieve the outcomes that they ultimately want. Um, you know, it's a really, as I said, it's a really hard thing to do. And, and you know, a very small number of them become the, the companies that we know and love. And, and, um, and uh, with that in mind, uh, it's very easy to, to say to a founder, oh, this is why it won't work, or there is a hundred reasons why your idea doesn't make sense. Um, I think trying to understand what, how it could work and what it would look like if it did, um, what impact would that have on our world? Um, taking that optimistic view, um, you might be wrong a lot. You'd definitely be wrong a lot, um, but hopefully um, there's a few opportunities you have to be right and, and to be, you know, uh, part of the journey of a, of a company that does something really special. I think that encapsulates um, what venture capitalists do mostly, that you buy into the vision and when sometimes even when there's no product oh. and it's the optimism of, um, you know, believing in what the founder can do and shape the future with this um, this business. So it's been actually really interesting in hearing your whole journey and also understanding your own personal startup philosophy. Um, what we'll do is we'll just spend the next couple of minutes running through some very speed-bound questions to wrap up. Um, the first one is, what book would you take with you on vacation? Um, that's an easy one for me. There's a book called How to Be Idle um, and it's uh, written by a guy called Tom Hodgkinson and it's, I think it's quite funny. Um, but essentially each chapter um, describes how to do something in an idle way, how to sleep in, um, how to skip school, how to, uh, you know, have a nap, all that kind of thing. And it's kind of about the joy of taking time to enjoy yourself, of taking time to, to switch off um, in, in, you know, putting the leisure back in leisure. And I think on a, on a holiday or vacation, it's important to really do that. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I recommend, highly recommend it to anyone to read at any time, but particularly on a holiday. Uh, it's a book that I find myself looking through, having a laugh and, and trying to sink into that, that mindset. Yeah, I think we all need to learn how to rest again and be present in the moment. It's <laughs> a great book. Um, so if you could travel back in time to when you finished university, what advice would you give yourself? Uh, join a startup. <laughs> um, as I said, I think it's important to optimise for learning. Uh, I don't know who the, the quote's from, but there's people have said, you know, it doesn't matter what, what seat you have on a rocket ship, just get on a rocket ship. Um, and I think at an, you know, at an early stage in your career, if you have the opportunity to join, you know, a startup, um, especially a high growth startup, uh, you know, the velocity of learning, um, the autonomy, um, the interesting problems that you work on. I think it's just such a, a, a cool pathway, um, that, you know, I didn't even consider when I was at university. And, uh, I think that's the advice I'd give myself if, if I was back there again. Mm. Yeah, I agree. 
Um, and what would you say to investors to encourage more capital to flow towards investing in climate tech solutions? Um, that everything is climate tech. You know, uh, we, you know, every every company on this planet, everything we do, everything we make uh, over the next fifty years, we've got to find a way to decarbonize it. It's going to impact every single business um, and every single person on the planet. And the companies that uh, unlock that decarbonization and that transition are going to be some of the the largest com- you know companies of our generation. Um, Larry Fink, who's the CEO of, of BlackRock, one of the largest asset managers in the world, he said that the next thousand unicorns are going to be climate tech unicorns. Um, uh, you know, we found that that companies in this space already have an unfair um, advantage in attracting and retaining talent because people more and more want to work on something that's mission aligned and they want to work on, um, you know, something that really matters to them. And they, frankly, younger generations look at what's happening in terms of climate change, floods, fires, extreme weather, you know, politicians, and they say, uh, you know, I can't imagine working on anything else. What else would matter? And and so I think, uh, you know, the companies in this space are going to get their share of the best talent um, of the next generation and, and build some of the most exciting and interesting companies we've ever seen. Mm, that's actually a really interesting um, perspective. What matters is that we have a planet here to enable everything else to matter in our lives as well. What technology or spaces are you obsessed with now? Probably an area I've been going quite deep on in the last month or two is molecular farming. Um, so this is the idea that you can genetically edit, uh, modify plants to express particular proteins or molecules that are important to you. Um, and the reason that you would do this is because you could then potentially grow those plants in a greenhouse or in an open field with, you know, very minimal capex requirements. And so at the moment, um, you know, as we try and move away from industrial animal agriculture, which has a bunch of negative health and environmental impact, um, lots of people are trying to find ways to create proteins and fats and things like that um, using methods like um, cultured, cultured meat and, and cellular agriculture or precision fermentation. Um, and one of the things that, that's difficult in that is that it requires a huge amount of investment up front um, in terms of building factories and bioreactors and all sorts of things. Um, and so the promise of molecular farming, should it come about, is that you could do some of this producing protein, proteins like casein, which is what actually makes up um, the meltability and, and some of the stuff that we love about cheese. You could do that in plants that, you know, orders of magnitude cheaper and, and therefore scale it much faster than, than potentially in fermentation. Um, whether or not that plays out, it's, it's hard to know yet. There's lots of um, unknowns and it's a pretty nascent space, but it's definitely an area that's really exciting and, and technology that, you know, I've been obsessing over a little bit in the last couple of months. Just going into um, the concept of synthetic biology, I, I came across your LinkedIn um, post where you were talking about synthetic bio- biology and I was really interested in, um, in, in this concept that you, um, you were talking about where meat might be grown in renewably, renewable-powered um, protein batteries. So I, I was wondering what you, um, where you actually think the industry might be going in terms of, you know, which which space will it impact first? Will it impact food? Will it impact fast fashion? Will it impact um, agriculture? 
where where do you think it's going to impact first? Um, yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, I think probably food's the space that we're seeing it, it, you know, the most immediate impact that will be visible to consumers. So, for example, Singapore is, I think, the first jurisdiction in the world um, to allow the sale of, of cultured meat. Um, so you could go to Singapore today and try meat that's been grown, you know, from cells in a lab. Um, uh, but that said, you know, I do think synthetic biology, the idea of, of um, you know, being able to turn um, microbes and, and other things into factories to produce the things we want in a biological way, um, uh, is it has a huge you know, range of applications across all sorts of fields. We're definitely seeing a lot more in fashion at the moment. Um, you know, people coming up with alternatives mm-hmm. to petrochemically de- derived textiles, uh, polyester, nylon, things like that, um, or, or ones that have a large, you know, uh, ecological footprint uh, derived from animals such as leather. Um, so I think there's there's definitely lots happening in that space, and um, you know it really is kind of a nascent field. Um, I, I, you know, it, it does feel like the kind of area that over the next ten years, it's hard to imagine the kind of companies and the kind of ideas that are going to spring up from this, but they're going to be really interesting, and, and I do think super transformative. Yeah, fascinating. I'm interested to see as well how they um, are able to capitalize on the research that's going on and some really great research coming out of you know foundations you know, ARO and and how we can actually use that to you know like in these areas to actually help our planet and really use it as it be consumed and so finally where can listeners go to learn more about you John? uh that's a good question i guess linkedin um i do have a, a twitter profile that i use Use pretty infrequently. Um, I'm not great at that, but uh, but yeah, maybe LinkedIn is probably where I'm most active. We'll definitely have to guide our audience to um, reach and ventures LinkedIn. You've got a newsletter as well, I believe. Yeah, we do. We've got a Substack. Um, so actually, that's a good plug. Thank you. <laughs> that's probably where <laughs> where I should be pointing people. Fantastic. Um, well, thank you so much, Tom, for giving us a moment of your day and providing us with an insight into um, the world of climate tech, region ventures, and also uh, inspiring our younger audiences about um, navigating the startup ecosystem, um, you know, also providing some really good advice on groundings and finding skill sets to, to help pave the way to future founding journeys. What did you think of the chat with Tom? I enjoyed hearing about his unique career journey so far and the impact that Regen Ventures is helping to make. It just goes to show that there are so many possibilities to form a career with impact, which is amazing. And if you'd like to connect with Tom, you can find him on LinkedIn. All the links will be in the show notes as well. We'd love to connect with you as well and hear your thoughts, so please join us on Facebook and LinkedIn to be part of our Greenfluence community. Please subscribe to our podcast to keep up to date with the latest episodes and we'd appreciate it if you would rate us and leave a comment. It means a lot. Thank you for joining me for this episode. I hope you have a fantastic day and I will catch you in the next one. Bye. Bye.